Listener Production. I acknowledge the lands and waters of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I pay my respects to their ancestors of the past and elders present. I acknowledge that the First Nations across the continent have never ceded sovereignty and that the First Nations are the first lawmakers. Welcome back to another episode of Black Matters. This is a podcast that's about First Nations matters and most importantly, why they matter. My name is MC from the Hit Radio Network and joining me as she does every single week, Teela Reid, First Nations advocate, senior lawyer and proud Wiradjuri and Walwyn woman. It's the highlight of my week. It's the highlight of my same, week. I thought, same. I thought you were about to give yourself a woo-woo there woo-woo. for a second. Go on, go Woo-woo-woo. <laughs> no, it really is. As long as I'm running on time. Which has never happened. It's never happened, honestly. It wouldn't, ma- it wouldn't matter what the time that we agree to meet is. Just give it an extra 5, 15, 20, and then Teela, she'll arrive whenever she wants to. We're all on Teela time. It's Teela time, yeah. Now, there is a phrase, a couple of words that we've heard a lot in 2023, a phrase that has been said by many, many people Many, many times. As a priority, Labor will establish a Makarata Commission with responsibility for truth-telling and treaty. And this uh, so-called truth-telling, now I remember that... Commitment to a treaty and Makarata Truth-Telling Commission. In Australia, truth-telling is a very narrow, very precise technical term. We need now a process of truth-telling in this country. That phrase, those two words that we've heard a lot, certainly this year, in and around this referendum uh, from a few weeks past, truth-telling. And I'm going to start with the obvious and maybe a stupid question, Teela. What is truth-telling and why has everyone been saying it? So, according to the Australian Human Rights Commission, a comprehensive process to expose the full extent of injustices experienced by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples to enable shared understanding of Australia's colonial history and its contemporary impacts. I don't know if I'm really the authority on what is truth-telling, but I can say that I think Australia is a nation actively in denial of the truth. I think that was very clear from the result of the Indigenous Voice referendum. People felt uncomfortable to turn a mirror on themselves, to look back at history as difficult as that is on this continent. And, you know, the campaign leading to that referendum was really based on voice treaty truth. And it feels as though the rejection of the voice is also a rejection of the desire to genuinely then as well engage in truth-telling. I have a bit of a like a contest of ideas around truth in my own mind. The truth is the truth. It's the story that ought to be told. But I guess the bigger question in this country right now is who gets to tell the truth? Yeah. So when we talk about truth-telling in regards to First Nations people, it literally is just telling the truth of what has happened in this country as opposed to what we've been told for so long and what we've learned in classrooms for so long and going back and actually going, no, 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 no. This is actually what happened 
and we're in this situation now because of what's happened and let's stop glossing over it. And so much of our education has really been a whitewashing of what actually happened here in this place. You know, so many Australians can make it to adulthood and not have really had to confront the reality of the way in which this nation was invaded or the stories of, for example, who has the right, the privilege and the power to tell the story of Australia. And for so long, First Nations peoples haven't been able. I certainly think, though, there is a movement now around this grassroots notion of truth-telling where lots of people are starting to have those difficult conversations in smaller groups with people they trust. I think that's a big layer of truth-telling is being able to have the capacity and genuine conversation with someone you trust to be able to hold that truth in a respectful way. So there are many levels of truth-telling that need to take place if this country is going to move forward in respect to First Nations people in a meaningful way, whether that is, I'm assuming, at grassroots level where it's just you with your inner circle, you with your friends, you and your family. But I'm assuming that this is something that needs to happen on multiple levels Mm. if we're ever going to get anywhere. And like an example of, say, an element of where we see in our nation the contest of truth, it's this. Mainstream Australia has this narrative of Captain Cook discovering the continent. Wait, I thought he was the first person to come here. What do you mean? Yeah. What do you right. mean? This was, wasn't this an uninhabited land? And we were so whitewashed about that. Like, I remember being in school back home in, the, you know, our little hometown mm-hmm. and being told by white teachers this was how the country was discovered yeah. and they would show you the photos or, or the art of the ships coming in and people were actually on the shore. Aboriginal people were actually on the shore, but we still got told there was no one here. It's so perplexing in this country to be a First Nations person having gone through Western education and still feeling like a foreigner in your own land. That feeling, it's so indescribable to people who are not First Nations to know what it feels like to have been told a narrative. And I'm talking right from preschool, primary school, high school, university, but then knowing, having that deep knowing as a First Nations person from the stories we are told in our own kinships of the truth. Cook did not discover us. We discovered them, Aboriginal people say. We saw the ships coming. We sent signals to other First Nations on this continent through fire and smoke, signaling that there were invaders. There is nothing about the Cook story that discovered us. So that, that is one example, and I think that cuts to the heart of a lot of the issues we have in this country. This concept of truth-telling, is it a First Nations concept or where has it come from? Well, lots of people have spoken about truth-telling in different contexts. South Africa had like a Reconciliation and Truth Commission and I guess the danger in state-sanctioned processes of examples of truth-telling 
where there are records, reports left on the nation's record, it's that often it's to serve the colonizer still. Here, in lots of different First Nations communities, there is a different way in which people understand truth in my own lived experience. So, for example, often when we hear this notion of truth-telling, the onus is put on us as First Nations peoples to tell our stories, whether that's the stories of the stolen generations or stolen wages or being dispossessed, this kind of heartbreaking stories of, of having to reveal our truth and our wounds to a nation that simply does not listen. In our community, lots of people talk about a different notion of truth-telling, which is we do it on our own time, in our own way, but we also want to do it in a context where, for example, the onus is not always placed on us to be the only party in the truth-telling process. We want colonizers to confront the actual truth of what their ancestors did. We've spoken about in the classroom you know, we went to the same school, we sat in the same lessons, and there were many things that we weren't taught that happened in this country. Where else is the truth not being told? You know, obviously history books taught at school, but is it, is it on a governmental level? Is it just people in the street? That's an interesting question because I think there's lots of layers to the uprising of truth, whether that's at a local level, a national level, or a global level. For example, in a different context, you know, Black Lives Matter was really about this bigger movement of revealing the truth of racial violence, systemic racial violence, and how that perpetrated within police systems and people mobilizing around telling those stories and taking action. And then that also kind of had a global effect here on what we were experiencing as a result of more and more Aboriginal deaths in custody and trying to elevate those stories. I actually prefer to use the term, and I've spoken about this recently at work, especially particularly in the law, where we're dealing with a very white patriarchal system that has asserted control, power, and dominance over people as a result of structural and systemic racism. I actually prefer the term a fact-setting agenda. Like, what's the facts? Okay. Because I think there's two schools of thought here. The truth will always be contested. You're always going to have multiple different perspectives of a particular event. I particularly thought about this post the referendum, given the complete rejection of the no vote of actually wanting to recognize the fact Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people were here and recognize that by virtue of a voice, like the most simple, the most simple basic democratic request, and that was rejected. So in this kind of one frame of mind of thinking about truth telling, I think, well, it's very difficult to think about the what that looks like now where you kind of have first peoples who are saying, hear us, and the nation rejecting those voices. And so I think in that kind of context, there will always inevitably be a contest of 
whose truth, what is the truth? And now, especially with social media and the media, there is a complete active denial of history. And the other side of things, I prefer to think about this notion of fact-setting and how we properly approach, well, these are the facts. These are undeniable facts. Australia is a continent. It was never discovered by the invaders. We were always here. Australia is a legal fiction. It's this colonial project that sits on top of our very ancient jurisprudence, a very ancient First Nations and First Law system. And the notion of Australia itself, and it's something I've spoken about with other Black people who I respect and genuinely help me unpack my own ideas and thoughts. You know, the legitimacy of Australia itself as a nation really rested on the recognition of First Nations peoples. You can't occupy a continent without the recognition of those first peoples that had always been there here. And that referendum was a real chance. It was the perfect opportunity. Yeah. It was the perfect opportunity. So what, what I mean, it's never going to change, clearly. It's going to be Australia till you know, you and I are long gone. Yeah, but I've spoken also about this to other people as well, which is like, empires have fallen. We might be sitting here in 2023 thinking, Australia is always going to be here. And I know people are going to be like, okay, she's pushing this argument too far. But... <laughs> It's only like... Do you love pushing an argument too far? (laughs) Never! (laughs) It's only a country that's like 250 years old. In another 250 years, it's worth asking if it'll still be here. I mean, that's the kinds of big ideas I actually think about. Well, man, my brain brain can't handle big ideas like this. I know, I know. But um, it's not unfathomable to think that a colonial project like Australia couldn't fall. And I think the feelings we're feeling around the world and the human fragility that we're seeing and the fact that in one stroke of a pen and a referendum, Australians think that they can reject the First Nations peoples, the oldest continuous surviving peoples on the planet. No, our existence is the resistance. And obviously as well, being a lawyer... I see it as these systems and structures and institutions that have been born out of an idea. An idea that clearly, in part, being one of the most, uh, it's undeniable how successful of a democracy Australia is, but at the cost, I feel, of the very heart and soul of what has always existed here. So, this truth telling, or as you'd like to be referred to as this fact-setting agenda. I'm assuming it's it's probably important for both parties here. I'm assuming it's important for First Nations people to, to get that real recognition and, I suppose, setting the record straight, but also important for non-Indigenous Australians to better understand their part in this nation's history and, and fully understand what has come before them. Because I guess it's hard to move forward if you know, you don't understand what's happened over your shoulder. Mm. But I still think there are ways, you know, allies, people in the circles you and I operate in, I think there is that kind of mutual, at least respect and understanding that 
we know deep down, despite the referendum outcome, we know deep down there is something that does not sit right mm. in this country. Mm-hmm. And and it's getting that groundswell is getting louder and louder. Yeah, and that is an upswell of people. Yeah. And I think that is a positive to take away. You know, those, while it didn't, the referendum itself didn't pass, there are people like us who continue to have these conversations and cultivate these spaces knowing that we stood on the right side of history. And who do you think benefits the most from truth-telling if we ever get there as a nation? I hope the next generation, really. If, if we are able as adults to genuinely have robust fact-setting conversations and we can do that in ways that tells a more honest narrative of this nation and our story, the nation's story, I feel like who benefits from that is the next generation. We get to leave them a legacy of knowing that it's actually a gift to be here on this continent and that our children, black and white, don't have to keep fighting these battles that we have done in 2023 and beyond. And coming back to something that you said right at the start of the podcast, I guess if we ever get to, you know, truth-telling as a nation, it might in a small way make First Nations people feel more welcome and a part of the lands that they've been on for thousands Mm. and thousands and thousands of years. I think people need to be really vigilant of the state of our country at the moment. I mean, what's so interesting about Australia is that because it is such a wealthy country generally, it's easy for so many people to turn a blind eye to actually some really sinister and dangerous things that are happening here, which is, for example immediate attacks on the First Nations community to demand a royal commission into particular Aboriginal communities as a result of just far-fetched allegations, you know? And secondly, in the same breath, to basically cancel welcome to countries and then in the same week to demand that the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander flags don't get flown with the Australian flag. Like these little chips away at our nation's soul and the things we have built they are constantly at threat. And those are the things that define us. I mean, for you especially, like recently bringing a new human into the world, how do you feel? Like, what do you want to leave? Hopefully a better place than what it currently is, to be honest. Because on many levels, things are a mess. Mm-hmm. And truth-telling doesn't have to be something that our politicians do. It can be something that we all play a part in. It can be something that we can do in our friendship groups. It can be something that we can do in our workplaces. And, I mean, the great hope is, slowly but surely, this truth-telling gets louder. And as a nation, you know, heaven forbid, we might actually come together at some point. And I think that's a good point that you say we can do it anytime, anywhere with each other because... There is a difference between when I say I don't agree with truth-telling and state-sanctioned truth-telling processes, such as things like royal commissions or these overarching, I guess, big processes that serve the crown and the colony. 
I do agree with exactly what you've said, though. It could be sitting of, around a barbecue yeah. and someone saying one thing. Oh, no, 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 no. Sorry, champ. That's Call it no, out. no, no. That's not. It's, it's actually this. We will do our very best, though, on this podcast to be as truthful as we possibly can and do nothing but tell the truth. Uh, we also believe that here, and this is, this is our way of speaking our truths here, mm. that, that language is really important. First Nations language, really important. Every week, we like to leave you with a First Nations word. It's a word that we've spoken about before on this podcast, but it sums it up perfectly. Gariyala. Gariyala in Wiradjuri means speak the truth. Live your truth. Do your truth. Action your truth. So, yeah, Gariyala. If we all lead our lives with a little more Gariyala, this place would certainly become a better place. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week. Tila, a pleasure as always. It was great to be here this week.